Hello, and welcome to Love Well, the podcast. I'm your host, Giovanna, and I've been fascinated by relationships since I was very young. In fact, I bought my first self-help book on relationships when I was in my teens, and now I help women find and experience deep, fulfilling love without sacrificing or settling for less. Whether you're single and satisfied, looking for love, or already in a relationship, this podcast will help you understand yourself and your partners deeper than you ever have before. If you've been craving deeper and more fulfilling love, then this is the podcast for you. We explore everything related to how to love well and dive deep into relationship sciences like developmental psychology, attachment styles, love addiction, codependency, and more to help you learn not only to love better, but also how to be loved well. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Love Well, the podcast. I'm Giovanna Capoza, your host and the author of Love Well, Confessions of a Lovesick Woman. And I'm here with probably one of my favorite teachers. His name is Coot Blackson. And if you haven't heard of him, then you need to get on the Googles. Um, He's an amazing, inspirational teacher uh, for this generation. And his story is actually quite extraordinary. We go into a little bit on this episode, but he goes into it in other interviews uh, in much more detail. But he is someone who is really, has been really called from a young age um, to be on this spiritual journey to actually help heal the world. So I'm going to read you a little bit about Mr. Coop Blackson. He's a beloved inspirational speaker and transformational teacher. He speaks at countless events he organizes around the world, as well as outside events, including AFEST, YPO, Young Presidents Organization, Entrepreneurs Organization, and many more. He's a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, a select group of 100 of the world's most Um, foremost authorities rather in the personal development industry. And he is the winner of the 2019 Unity New Thought Walden Award. He has written two amazing books. The first one is called You Are the One. And the second book, which is out right now as well, just brand new, is called The Magic of Surrender. And if you've ever wondered how you can break through blocks or barriers that are seemingly popping up in your life, or maybe you have repeated patterns that are coming up and you don't actually know why you're doing this or what, what it is about you that keeps creating the same scenario over and over again. Maybe you're struggling in your relationships or you feel like you have a sense of purpose, but you can't quite get there, right? There's something in your way. I think that surrender is the remedy in all of those situations. It is the remedy in your relationships. It is the remedy in your career. It is the remedy whenever there is a roadblock. And we have a really funky relationship with surrender, right? So we often look at surrender as maybe despondency or giving up, right? Or um, like Kut says in the interview, waving their white flag. And it's none of those things. And he's gonna explain to us exactly what surrender is, what it's not, how to get into a state of surrender and and start to get curious with it more and more. And we get into all sorts of other topics like the ego 
and what it means for the ego to exist in your life, what its purpose is, and how it's really actually also getting in the way from you surrendering. So we get into all of this and so much more in this episode. I'm really excited for you to be here. Thanks again for tuning in and let's dive in. Coot Blackson, welcome to Love Well, the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. So today we're going to dive into, well, both of your books, really. Um, I found out, and I just mentioned before I pressed like record, I found out that we, you know, we have a few things in common. Um, and I want to hear a little bit about your backstory and kind of what got you here. But in listening to, you know, some of your other interviews, it struck me that, you know, you, you mentioned that there wasn't really like a point in which you were like, okay, I'm going to do this work, you know, and I really identify with that. Cause I, I was one of those kids, like really early young person asking big questions, right. That like people didn't have answers for. So I wonder if you can take us a little bit on your journey to, you know, not only how you got to here with your work, but in particular, you know, with your work around surrender, because I think this is a huge one for mankind is learning to surrender. Yeah, I mean, it depends which direction you want to go. But yeah, I felt from a very young age, I felt a huge calling to serve people from a very young age, I felt a deep empathy for people's suffering. And there was always a deep desire to uh, alleviate people's suffering in some way. I didn't know what that would look like. And for me, I grew up in a very um, mystical kind of environment. And some people would say, unusual, extraordinary, I didn't think anything that special about it because it's all I knew. And, right. and I think the blessing of that was I grew up with a, without a sense of limitations. Like my first memories as a young boy was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. And so oh. week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs. And the same man whose you know, sand she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, stand up and put his hands on them. And so this man was my father. He was considered the, the miracle man of Africa built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, built a huge church in, in London, about three to 4,000 people every Sunday. And so I grew up in this environment with a very spiritual guru-like father, which had its blessings and its curses, so to speak. <laughs> and um, yeah, when I was age eight, I started speaking in my father's church and he just threw me into the audience and said, speak. And when I was 14, I was ordained as a minister in my father's organization, given the mandate to take over. And so that's when everything started for me around that age. And um, I knew that that wasn't my path when it was announced. I knew that that wasn't my journey. I knew that that wasn't my soul's purpose in this lifetime. But I think I was too afraid to speak my truth. I was too afraid to tell him how I felt because my fear was if I dared to be myself, if I dared to express who I am, if I dared to speak speak my truth, then I'm going to be outcast. I'm going to lose love. I'm going to be abandoned. I'm going to lose my father's relate my the relationship with my father. And so I think, like many of us, out of fear, I, you know, I I, I held back and I just went along with it basically and. Um, went into a lot of turmoil and, and I think things really opened up for me because when I was 18, I had to make some decisions and I looked into my future and I felt this huge calling to come to the US. And maybe this was the first moment of surrender for me in my life where uh, in a deep way where 
I felt this huge calling that didn't make any sense. I wanted to go into this spiritual field because the only reason I knew about self-help was all of the books on my father's bookshelf. Some of them were uh, people like Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra, Marian Williamson and Louise Hay. And so when I read these books as a teenager, I had this sense that, wow, there's a whole nother way of inspiring people. There's a whole nother way of making impact. There's a whole nother way of teaching and writing blew my mind. And, and so I felt this soul calling, pulling me to the US, pulling me to Los Angeles, pulling me to come and find these people. Um, but my entire life was carved out for me. And so now I had this, 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 this conflict and I looked into my future and I saw that I could be successful by the world standards. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my truth, then what kind of success is there? If I didn't have my own integrity. And, and so I felt such a sense of self-betrayal and a sense of soul suicide that the pain was so strong that I, I knew what I had to do, which was speak to my father, I spoke to my father. We didn't speak for two years. That was devastating and heartbreaking. Um, but, you know, sometimes what your soul guides you to do and what you're invited to surrender to doesn't always make sense to your mind, doesn't always make sense to your logic, isn't always convenient to, isn't always convenient to your personality, but... Um, I really believe that when we follow our truth and when we surrender to our deepest truth and our soul's guidance, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment, we will always end up in the right place at the right time, even though the route that we take doesn't maybe make sense or isn't what we expect. And so had that conversation, um, long story short, won a green card in the lottery. Wow. In the green card, in the green card lottery. And that's what brought me to the US, two suitcases, $800, a dream of inspiring people uh, and impacting people's lives and writing books and showed up just with a dream. And then I you know, found mentors and many of the teachers and authors I've read about, studied with some of them and traveled the world, went to you know, Asia, studied with monks, went to Israel, studied with rabbis, walked the Camino, ended up in India, I had some really profound spiritual experiences there. And that's what really, uh, cracked me open to a deeper sense and realization of my own truth on some of the answers that I'd been seeking as a kid in terms of like, what is the purpose of life and why are we here and why am I here? You know, what is this thing all about? And, and so uh, it was really out of that process of my own transformation that I began helping people and inspiring people. And so my life has been a series of surrenders. And so yeah, the book, in terms of the magic of surrender is, is perhaps the, I don't say a culmination, but, but a, a really a culmination of much of my life and my life philosophy and how I've lived my life and how I've uh, learned to live my life through trial and error and, and much resistance and suffering and coming to a realization that surrender is the key ultimately. Surrender is the, I think is the most powerful thing that we can do. It's the key to our next level. It's the real secret to manifestation. When I look at all of the great ones, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Buddha, whether it's Gandhi, whether it's Mandela, whether it's, you know, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, uh, they all surrendered themselves to a bigger purpose. They all surrender themselves to their soul. They all surrender themselves to their deeper truth. They all surrender themselves to life. And it was in surrendering themselves that they transcended their own human limitations, their own ego's limitations, and they tapped into another dimension 
of life, another dimension of their own soul's potential, and life began to manifest through them in some way. And I think this was not the book, and I can speak if you want more about how it came about, but this was not the book that I thought I was going to write. Uh, I, I had all that of these ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had all of these ideas about the book I thought I should write, the book I thought would be more interesting, the book I thought publishers would want, the book I thought my audience would want, the book I thought would sell, and none of those really resonated. None of those in my own integrity <clears throat> felt true, felt real, felt authentic. So I had to kind of surrender to the book that was seeking to be written. And when that happened, everything flowed. You know, everything everything unfolded in, in, in truly amazing ways beyond what I could have planned and expected. And so I just think I'm excited about this, this, this theme of surrender, this possibility of surrender, this <clears throat> topic of surrender. And for me, there's an invitation I really want to give people to reframe how they see surrender, because I think in our culture today, we have so many misconceptions of what surrender means. We <clears throat> have this idea. We yeah. think it's giving up, it's waving the white flag. We think it means that we're weak, that we're going to be a victim, taken advantage of, left behind, that we won't manifest those goals, dreams, and desires, that we're going to get less in life. And really what I want to say as well, in true authentic surrender, what if you didn't get less, less than you imagined? What if you actually got more, more than you could even fathom and imagine and visualize and conceptualize with your limited logic, with your limited mind's capacity to, to manifest? What if you got more? And so surrender really, as we, as to just frame the conversation, is a letting go of control. It's a letting go of control and trying to control every little thing, at least the illusion of control, because we think we're in control. And even when we are, we're really not, you know, and totally. <laughs> uh, control being that master addiction. It's to stop trying to force and manipulate life to fit our limited idea of how we think it should be. It's taking the, the idea of who we think we should be and how we think life should be is dropping that so that we can really allow, it's an allowing, you know, it's an openness to really allow the most authentic impulse and expression of life to manifest is taking the limits off of life. Sometimes we don't realize with our intention and our striving and our goal setting that we are holding so tightly to our idea of how we think things should be that we're limiting, <laughs> right? We're, we're limiting life. We, we so want what we want and we think that what we want is the best thing. And sometimes we go to the universe with this idea of give me a peanut and the peanut's yeah. amazing when the universe is seeking to give us so much more and so surrender is that openness that availability that allowing that 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 when we truly surrender i think we are then fully available to yeah. the you know infinite possibilities you know for lack of a better word the infinite possibilities of 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 life manifesting in ways that we can't imagine. And so that's in a nutshell, the surrender concept and, and a bit of, bit of my life. Yeah. I love, thank you for sharing that. I love that you said um, the, the control addiction, right? Because it is this illusion of control. And I remember the way I described my whole awareness about surrender and my own kind of surrender experience. This was a, a, many years ago, 10 years ago now, uh, you know, I was 36 years old and I woke up one morning and I realized that 
you know, the universe had been like tapping on my shoulder my whole life, trying to direct me and redirect me. And I was like, I got it. I'm good. Like, you know, kind of shutting it up. And this is sort of how, you know, a lot of us live our life is that we're afraid to surrender. Like you said, we, we have this misconstrued idea of what that means. And I wonder for you too, because I mean, we, we hear these amazing stories of people who do surrender and follow guidance, et cetera. And I can hear my audience right now going, yeah, but how do you do that? And what about when the doubt comes up? And what if you get like a door that seemingly, you know, seems slammed in your face, right? Like that it's this, this is not the direction. How do we navigate those experiences? How did you navigate that? Like, did you have any self-doubt that came up? Because you, I mean, you got your calling really young. Yeah, I think, you know, look, on one level, I think doubt is natural. I'll, I'll kind of exp- exp- maybe answer from different angles. I think doubt is natural. Uh, doubt is normal. Fear is natural. Fear is normal. Um, but the, the problem is we often allow our fear to stop us. We often allow our doubt to stop us and we give a lot of power to the doubt. I think whenever you are going in the direction of your dreams or vision, your dreams and visions are meant to take you beyond yourself. Your dreams and visions are meant to take you outside of your comfort zone. The next level of your life requires the next level of you. The next level of you requires that you expand beyond your current version. You can't manifest the next level of your life being the old version of yourself. And so whenever you expand beyond your current self, you have to doubt your own self as you know it. You have to doubt your own kind of capacity as you know it, because it requires that you step outside of yourself, go beyond what you've done, do what you've never done, um, uh, go into areas that you haven't gone into, and and it it will force you to, to access parts of yourself. Every dream or goal will often force you to access parts of yourself that you, that you weren't in touch with before or that you didn't even know was there. And, and, and so the doubt that comes up from, can I do it? And is it possible? And oh my God, uh, it, it's completely normal because you're going beyond your typical comfort zone. There's no doubt walking to the next block to go get some coffee. You know you can do that. You do that every day. But there's no growth there. But there might be some doubt when we say, go walk Kilimanjaro, go walk Mount Everest, go into the Himalayas. It's like, is that part, can I? So, so if you don't have any fear or any doubt, just to frame the relationship with people, if you don't have any fear or any doubt, probably the life you're living or what your dreams are is too small. You're playing too small. You're playing it too safe because your, your goals, dreams, a worthy goal and dream should cause you to doubt yourself. It should. You should be a little scared, a little afraid. Like, can I do this? It shouldn't be like, right. yeah. It shouldn't be like boring. Yeah, I can do this in my sleep. It, 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 it should. It, it should get you to question yourself because you're going to have to go beyond yourself into an area that you've never been. And so the issue isn't the doubt. The issue is that we believe the doubt. The issue isn't the doubt. The issue is realizing that just because a thought is in your mind doesn't mean it's real, doesn't mean it's true, doesn't mean it's fact. So we have to doubt the doubt and question the doubt and question ourselves and ask ourselves, is this true? Is this real? I'm not enough. Can I do it? I can't do it. I'm this, I'm that. And so if we can observe the thoughts, witness the thoughts, have a relationship with the thoughts and not 
attach to those thoughts or give those doubt thoughts power, then we can move through and keep breathing and keep expanding. So that's one thing I would say. Doubt is natural. Embrace that as a part of the process of expansion. The other thing I would say is in terms of surrender, there's a couple of things. I think I just want to explain a bit about why it seems hard to surrender, because I think if people understand that, it will help the how, and then maybe give people one practical step. And so what makes it hard to surrender or seemingly hard, and I'll explain why in a moment, because I think surrender is really natural. Surrender is the most natural thing for us as human beings. It's natural. It doesn't seem that way because we're always controlling everything, right? And, and, and so part of why it seems difficult or feels difficult or is difficult, but seems difficult, is because we are identified with ourselves as ourselves. We are identified with ourselves as this ego thing that we believe ourselves to be. Ego is in the way. Now, ego is not an enemy. It's just ego is the sense of how we identify ourselves to be ourselves based on body, name, culture, religion, education, thoughts, memories, feelings, you know, history. And the more we hold on to that tightly, like me, then we're an ego. That's ego. So ego isn't a thing. It's a process of identification. And so part of why we end up being control addicts is really for a good reason. And if we can understand that, it can transform our relationship with control. And then you can transform your relationship with surrender and maybe the first steps. When we're born as children, we're born free. You look at a child, the child is like beaming, being, loving. It's, the child is fully surrendered, falls down, cries, stands up, starts running again, poops, you know, cries, changes diapers and it's just no, free again it, no it's not like oh i'm smelly i poop something's wrong with I me can't believe it, I, I can't believe i fell i can't believe it was sitting on a table doesn't care if it's not celine dion run naked doesn't care if there's a few you know fat rolls what do i look like on instagram yeah. it's just being a child is truly surrendered they are in touch with their innate divinity the the true source energy they're just beaming that so what happens we're born into this human experience, we incarnate. We incarnate into a preset framework of conditioning, dysfunction, pain, trauma, hurt, and we meet our parents. Our parents are conditioned based on their parents and their parents and their parents, and now we're born into an entire ancestral framework of stuff. And maybe dad was an alcoholic, mom had mental health issues, maybe they were fighting all the time, there was abuse, pain, trauma, hurt, shouting, you know, uh, a shaming, uh, alcoholism, addiction. Maybe they were nice people, but they didn't know how to meet our emotional needs. And so there was some level of pain that we all felt as children. So two things happened. Number one, we began to learn all sorts of defense mechanisms and strategies to shut down, disconnect, and not feel. We begin to suppress layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of pain that we try to avoid feeling, layers and layers and layers and layers. And all of those layers start building up in, and, and begin to should we say, cover up our innate light, cover up our true flow, our true shine, our true essence. Then we develop those defense mechanisms as a way to avoid feeling the pain. And now we hold so tightly into, uh, I'm going to erect these walls in my heart. I'm going to be disconnected. I'm going to trip out. I'm going to disconnect. I'm going to, we have all sorts of defense mechanisms to not feel the pain of what was going on. Now we hold on to that. We learn to do that and we often end up continuing to do that throughout our childhood, teen, adulthood, 
in order to never feel the pain again. Now we start to control our sense of experience as a way to manage our emotions to never feel the pain again. Now we're going to relationship, fall in love, and we're still doing that pain. We, we, we go to work, something happens, someone dies, and we're still doing that pain. And so that way of control, managing everything around us is a control pattern to keep us safe, to keep us safe and to reinforce our sense of self. And as children, then we go into life, we learn the sense of who do I need to be in order to get love, validation and approval. I don't know what it was like for you, but for me, I learned to be the nice boy, the, the, the preacher's kid, the responsible one, the appropriate yeah. one, the perfect son, the appropriate one, the kid, the one who took care of everyone. And everyone was like, Look how great Coot is. Look how amazing Coot is. He's such Come a good back. Yeah, look at <laughs> it. And so so then then that that way of being gets reinforced and we get more and more reinforced into that way of being. Avoid pain, get love, validation, and approval. We develop roles, masks, and personas that become who we think we are, but it's really not. It becomes a way that we've been conditioned into a certain pattern, and we think that's who we are, and we say, no, this is just me. This is just who I am. I'm just this way. We don't realize that we've just been conditioned. So we have to start asking ourselves, is who I am who I really am? Or is who I am a pattern of conditioning? Because the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. And so now we end up going through life as this person, as this identity, personality, yeah. personality holding so tightly to avoid pain and get love, thinking that's who we are as a way to control our environment, to control how you perceive me, to control, it's, it's survival. And so that mechanism of controlling everything, if I can achieve that, if I can do that, is really a survival mechanism. And when we realize that that mechanism that we call me is not the real us, it's a whole different relationship. And so when you can realize that you're programmed, we're all programmed, we're all conditioned than that we are not that condition. It's just a pattern of conditioning. Then we can start becoming aware of that. Then you can begin to see that many of the ways that you are controlled, many of the ways that you try to control, rather, you know, controlling everything in life is arising from fear, but also arising from a good intention. And I think when we can see that, then we can begin to shift our relationship with ourselves in those moments to meet the, to meet ourselves with compassion and love. Because I think when we can see like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm really afraid. Oh, wow, I'm really, you know, like, like there's, good in, there's good intention behind the, the controlling behaviors. And if we can observe that rather than judge it, observe that rather than, you know, um, hate ourselves or, or judge ourselves then, we can meet us ourselves with compassion, with mercy, with grace, with love, with empathy, with kindness. And that's when the healing happens. And that's when, when we can meet, because most of those controlling ways of being, those parts of us that are now afraid of surrender, because that's why we're like, if I surrender, I'm gonna have to feel all of those emotions again. If I surrender, it's not gonna be safe. If I surrender, who's gonna take care of me? If I surrender, how am I gonna get love validation approval self-worth and so if we can then recognize that then we can meet those younger parts of ourselves with a bit of compassion and hold ourselves with compassion and become aware of when we are in those control patterns then we can begin to shall we say soften 
and relax and relax and relax. And then surrender can begin happening gently in the process of love in the space of how we meet ourselves with that loving, you know? And I think that's really important. Healing is the application of loving yes, to those absolutely. parts of ourselves that are hurting. And so that's how we can begin to realize that we're conditioned, uh, become aware of the patterning, be willing to feel some of those layers of pain that we suppressed and meet ourselves with love and compassion. I think that's, that's a place to start. The last thing I would just say is, aside from that, um, and, and I think the reason why it's important is because if we're not aware of why we do what we do and why we try to control, then it can be easy to judge ourselves. So like, why am I so controlling and what's wrong with me? And then we end up beating ourselves up and judging ourselves. And then we end up trying to control the process of control. Like I need to, I need to <laughs> surrender now. And then that keeps totally. us even more stuck in the, like I read the book, I read the magic of surrender. So the Dalai Lama surrendered and he says it's good to surrender. So hurry up and surrender. And that just keeps us stuck even more. And the other thing I would say is a place that people can start practically in terms of, okay, how do I, how do I make a shift? How do I begin? I don't know where to start. Start where I just said, but the other place is one of the things that keeps us stuck as human beings are all the ways that we lie to ourselves. As human beings, we are, for the reasons I just expressed in terms of conditioning in childhood, we lie to ourselves all the time about who we are, what we want, what we feel. And often we don't even know that we're lying to ourselves. We're, in, we're not even in denial. We're just unconscious. It's programming. And there is no real transformation without truth. There is no real transformation, fulfillment, freedom, joy, happiness without truth. So many of us, we stay in relationships that aren't fulfilling. We work jobs that we know not the true expression of our purpose, and we end up compromising our integrity. The truth is what sets us free. And if we're willing to tell the truth, feel the truth, acknowledge the truth, live the truth, speak the truth, that begins to transform our lives. So on some level, it's easy. It's, it's, I should say, simple, but not always easy because of our own conditioning. And so the question number one, I would invite everyone to just meditate on as a practice is ask yourself, what lies am I telling myself? Like just raw, real, straightforward. If you're willing to start, truth is real spiritual practice. Truth is real yoga. Truth is real therapy. Truth is real meditation. If you start telling yourself the truth, that will begin to transform your life completely in ways that you cannot imagine. Completely. And so it'll happen too. It'll come up as soon as you intend to know that. Like, even just as you said that, I'm like, I'm going to ask myself as you're asking. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay. It's like, it just comes up because you're willing yeah. to go there as however painful it might be. What lies am I telling myself? You know, it, it starts a process. What lies am I telling myself? You can pretend, but, but I tell you, you have to be willing to tell the truth. And, and one thing that helps is sometimes it's scared to tell the truth because we're afraid of the consequences. And so what we'll do is we'll start playing a game of confusion. I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know if this person is right for me in relationship. We know. We know deep down. You know, the you moment know. we break up with the moment <laughs> we break up with that person, we tell our best friend, "I knew <laughs> that God. was never gonna work." You know, I knew it was never gonna work. When did you know? Oh, probably in the first day. We, we know. 
right? Yep. And so, but, but sometimes because of the fear of the consequence of what will happen if I own the truth, exactly. the, 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 the ego, the ego's job is to reinforce its existence. The ego begins to create the smoke screen of confusion because then we don't have to change. We can, we can stay in our limited identity. And so ask yourself, what am I pretending to not know? What am I pretending to not know? But it's really important that if you can take the pressure off of yourself from even having to take an action, like you don't have to take an action, that can change things too. Like you don't have to take an action, but let's just tell the truth. The truth might be, I hate my job. You don't have to leave. You don't have yeah. to change. But just, just acknowledge, I hate my job and feel that. Feel what that brings up because that begins the process. Okay, I'm no longer in love with my partner, with my with my husband, with my wife. You don't have to leave. Don't, you don't have to get a divorce. You don't have to break up yet. But just feel that and let the process marinate. The third question would be, what is the cost of lying to myself? What is the cost? And the key is, once again, to feel the pain. When we lie to ourselves, it's painful. When we lie to ourselves, it's not meant to feel good. It's meant to feel painful. Pain is a blessing because I think pain is feedback showing us where we're not being truly authentic and honest, where we might be betraying ourselves in some way. And so the, the, the challenge is in our culture, what we tend to do is we distract ourselves. We numb ourselves. We drink it away, smoke it away, sex it away, drug it away, shop it away, social media it away, just so we don't have to feel the pain, which just keeps us stuck even more for years. So what I'm saying is acknowledge the pain. The pain is feedback. The pain is a blessing. The pain is a gift. And, and, and let it burn. Let that burn because that begins to process inside. The truth will set you free. So just by beginning to tell yourself the truth about where you are, can begin the process of surrendering as well, because lying, you know, or not telling ourselves the truth can be a way that we perpetuate the resistance. I love that was a piece that you said there that really, I mean, all of it resonated with me, but I, I see it so much happening with the, the, you know, the men and the women that I work with around their couples, right? Is like, you know, almost right away when there's either a problem or it's not an alignment or you're not there. And the process of lying to ourselves ends up, and I've done this and my clients have done this, but it's like you end up staying in situations way past the expiration date, right. all to avoid trying to feel this pain, which guess what is going to come anyway, except now it's coming two years down the line, 10 years down the line, and you've been in pain the whole time. Right. And so it's such a huge uh, piece is like, you don't have to, I love that you said you, you don't have to commit to an action step. You just have to get honest and say what's working for you, what isn't. Another question I like to ask myself is like, what am I not willing to see here? Right. It's a version of that, right? Because there's some, there's always something there. And I think, you know, relationships especially are one of our biggest teachers. Yes. Because we yes, mirror yes. back so much of that childhood stuff. It's one, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I focus so much on inner child work, right? Because there's so much wounded parts within us. Um, so I wonder if you can, you know, give us maybe um, ways to um, work with your triggers in relationships, because I think those are, that's the holy laboratory. That's the Course in Miracles says relationships are the holy laboratory, right? Where the ego gets really fired up. How do we start to work with our triggers a little better when we're in our a relationship? Well, I think, I think, I think part of it could be not just working with it, but but un, 
but an understanding of the context of relationship. Because I think if you understand the context of relationship, it can transform your relationship with relationship, which can then maybe give you a different relationship with your triggers. Because yeah, the triggers are still- that. I know where you're going with right, that, I get right? you. <laughs> the, the, the triggers are still yeah. gonna come up and, and we've been conditioned with this sort of Hollywood, Disney-esque uh, version of relationship, meet the love of person, be together forever. They're gonna fulfill, they're gonna make you whole and complete. You complete me, you make yeah. me whole. You, you make me, you, you, you know, <laughs> and, and so, there's a kind of, I don't want to say immature, not in a judgmental way, a, a kind of immature young way that we view relationships right now based on our culture, right? Uh, where we're often, relation, we're going into relationships from a place of need, from a place of lack, and looking for someone to complete us in the ways we don't feel complete to also fulfill those unmet needs that weren't met from childhood and were un consciously or unconsciously looking for partners to meet those needs, which really can never, <laughs> which, which really can never fully happen truly. Right. And, and so when we understand the context of relationship and the purpose of relationship, I think it really can transform our relationship with the triggers. And so I think we attract someone in relationship because we and that person are perhaps a similar vibrational match in some way, uh, because perhaps there's lessons to learn, uh, perhaps because uh, that person is reflecting back to us parts of ourselves that we most need to heal, integrate, embrace, make peace with, you know, uh, take a look at, right, let go of. And so there's some mirror there. When we understand that, then we start seeing that the relationship is a mirror, as you've mentioned. It's a mirror. It's a great mirror. Relationship is a mirror. And you attract to your person that mirrors to you those aspects of yourself that need healing and that need integration and that need embracing. And when you see relationship as a mirror, it starts changing everything. Then you start realizing that there is no relationship out there. You, you think there's a relationship out there with someone else, but really you're in relationship with an aspect of yourself that's manifested Absolutely. in the form of the other person. And the other person is that mirror manifestation of yourself. And so to really shift your relationship with relationship and your triggers, I think it really helps to stop looking out there and pointing the finger. And I think it really helps to say, wow, let me take a look at what I'm attracting. Let me take a look at what this person is reflecting to me about me, because if it's me that is showing up and it's me that is being reflected, do I like what I see? And you can only go so far trying to change someone out there. And that just is a recipe for suffering. But if you take on this idea of, okay, relationship is a mirror. And if that's the case, then I can, then I have the power to transform and shift and heal myself. And if I heal myself, then rest assured that either the person will change, either your relationship with their patterns will change so you'll be able to respond differently and experience it differently or you'll no longer be a vibrational match because you will have worked through some That's of the lessons yep. and they will shift out of your life in some way shape or form but it won't be able to stay the same you might stay together but it just won't bother you as much anymore or you'll be able to see it differently or interpret those triggers differently and so often in relationship when we have a trigger i think a trigger is a blessing a trigger is a gift because the trigger is the gold that shows you where you're not free. The trigger is the gold that shows you where you're still wounded. The trigger is the gold that shows you where there's more healing. And knowing that, wow, there's gold here, 
if I heal this, I'm going to experience more of myself, more freedom. And so it's highlighting where the gold is. We often don't see it that way, though. We blame another person, try to make them wrong. So if we can understand that and understand that the real purpose of relationship is not just to get laid, go to the movies, you know, get roses, go on a vacation. Have and then, someone take know, out the garbage. <laughs> and, and, and that's lovely. Nothing yeah, wrong with lovely. that. But the real purpose of relationship is evolution, is to is to be able to, to resolve the karma and the lessons for which you and that person came together for you to heal those unresolved triggers because we often attract people to us in relationship as an unconscious impulse to heal those aspects of ourselves that perhaps were unresolved from childhood. So often we'll attract people with similar resonance and similar energy and similar pattern to the unresolved issues with our parents. And so if we understand the purpose of relationship it's for healing karmic healing, psychological, mental, emotional healing, so that we can realize more of who we authentically are and become more of our authentic self. And so when triggers come up, when we understand that, first you realize, well, of course, triggers are going to come up. It's the whole point of growth. Yep. It's not. A, so when triggers come up, it's not necessarily an issue. It's, ah, triggers are here. What an opportunity to do some yoga, to stretch. And when you both have that understanding of the evolutionary nature of relationship, rather than getting freaked out, pissed off, or being adversarial, then you can hold the space together or hold the space for each other when another person's triggered, knowing that love will tend to bring up what is unlike itself in order to be healed. And that's part of the process to clear those patterns of what's of everything that's not like love, so more love can potentially be revealed for you both. When you understand that, you don't have to get triggered by their triggers or you or they by your triggers. You can hold the space of love and compassion as they work through the triggers. And so when a trigger comes up, what we tend to do is we often say something like, well, I'm upset because you are not, you did X, right? I'm upset because you are not doing X, Y, Z. You're not and being the we, person I'm expecting you to be. You're not being the person I'm expecting you to be. You're not doing X, Y, Z. So what we tend to focus on is the X, Y, Z. And so we tend to focus on trying to get the other person to stop doing X, Y, Z so that they can be different. And then we go into control. If I can get that person to stop doing that thing, then I won't be upset. But we're making you, the other person, responsible for our trigger. And so when, we can, when the trigger's there, when we can shift our focus from the X, Y, Z that the person's doing. And we stop making the other person responsible for our trigger. Yes, the trigger's there inside of us. They push the button, but they are not the source of that trigger. And if we then shift our focus to the trigger inside of ourselves, then we stop trying to change the other person, look to the other person to do something different so that we don't feel the trigger and we start looking to the source of what our trigger's really about. And when we can look to the source of what our trigger's really about, which often has nothing to do with the other person. They pushed it, but that trigger was there likely before the other person Absolutely. even showed up. Then we take our power back to say, okay, how can I work with this trigger? How can I heal this trigger? Where does this feel familiar? How can I, you know, what part of me needs some attention? The inner child, as you mentioned, that young part, that eight-year-old, that 10-year-old. And as we start healing those layers, it transforms our relationship to the 100%. trigger. And I even- the amount of people I've had like come up to me, I've even had women come up and say, did you, did you talk to my husband? And I'm like, no, 
this is totally confidential. Are you sure he didn't, you know, he didn't email you or whatever. I was like, no, no, why? Well, he's totally different. I'm like, well, he's not totally different. You're totally different. Right. And, and it's, you know, easier said than done sometimes because sometimes that trigger, like you said, it's so deep rooted and it's, and it's, it almost like a freight train. It kind of overtakes you. I mean, still even happens to me and I'm like, Oh, okay, wait a second. Then you got to kind of rewind the tape and clean it up. But for me, you know, to speak personally for me and just what I see with people that I've in my sphere, everything changed for me when I started to see my relationships as a classroom rather than this enigma and kind of weird thing. I don't know how to navigate and what am I going to get from you? And what am I supposed to do? And, you know, and it's, it's a classroom, right? It's, it's a classroom, like you said. So I, I love yeah. the way you broke that down. Yeah. yeah awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, words of wisdom. I, I, I soak them all in. I, I'm going to rewatch this even for myself because there was, I found myself taking some notes, but then I'm like, stop writing. I have to listen. So um, <laughs> yeah, just so much goodness here. And like, this is the core foundation, right? Of, of like, if we can make this a priority for ourselves, I believe, you know, our life goes in a, in a, in a more beautiful, different direction than yes. like you said, simply floating around, being in blame and all of those things. So I so appreciate you and your work. And please, please tell the audience because you have this beautiful new book out. So your yes. first book was You Are the One. Which You Are the One. Yes, you are the one. You are the one. And this new book is The Magic of Surrender. Tell us where we can find you and it. Sure. And where yeah, the book, the, the book is available. Depending on people listening to this, the book is available on, it's available now on Amazon. The new paperback is coming out on May the 3rd. So get the paperback, had some updates. Um, Amazon, get the paperback, The Magic of Surrender. Um, I'm I'm doing a very special uh, online seminar on May the 14th. Again, depending on dates of listening, May the 14th, the seminar is called Reinvent Life. I'm going to be deep diving for for two hours, really how to reinvent yourself and let go of the past and live your live your gifts in the world um so once you get the book on amazon go to www.coot my name coot blackson k-u-t-e cootblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar just enter your name your email your receipt info you'll get access to a bunch of free gifts and also the the link for the may 14th event if it's after may the 14th we'll make sure we uh give you access to the replay my main website, Coop Blackson, Instagram, Coop Blackson, uh, Facebook, Coop Love Now. Yeah. Um, what else? Twice Instagram. A year. That's yeah, right. twice, twice, <laughs> twice a year I do an event in Bali for those that feel like going on a deep dive, www.boundlessblissbali.com. Love it. Thank you again for being here. Guys, go out, grab the book. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna um, get a, another copy like a, a real hands in my hands copy and and get to that event because I'm I'm looking please come May the 14th yeah thank you so much again for being here thanks. That was today's show. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for being here. If you got an insight from this show or an aha that you're dying to share, come on over to my free Facebook group. The link is in the show notes. You can join, tell your friends about it. And hey, why not share this episode with someone you love? We'd so appreciate it if you went on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and jot down a few sentences letting people know what you think of the show. Thanks again for being here and for learning how to love well. Thank you.